Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au. Oh, this is just such a beautiful church. Oh, it's really... I, I do, I feel like I'm with familia. Uh, I think we're called John Don. Joe Don. So, um, you know, the Lord is, is really doing something here. I was, I was thinking about uh, just your worship team. They are actually exceptional. Absolutely Exceptional. Um, the most beautiful thing about them is they're a team. It's, it's the, I mean, each one is a superstar, but they're not one superstar. They're just a superstar team. And that has to come, yeah. Um, and, and that has to flow out of your leadership team. Last night I had a scripture, I didn't share it with you, I had a word, I was just praying, meditating on it, and then, then the word was there again, so I am going to share it. So, um, Joe and Lena, you, you've built, some churches pursue signs and wonders, but your people are signs and wonders, and that's Isaiah 8. Isaiah 8 says that your sons and daughters, or your people, are signs and wonders. Our job is to produce people, not signs and wonders. If we produce really beautiful people, it's just going to be, they're just going to carry Christ. And um, is your wife with you this morning? She's not. Okay. Uh, you, your family has carried, you, you've, I know stuff now, so this is not prophetic, all right? So it would be wrong for me to prophesy something that I know. <clears throat> so I know from talking to Joe that you've just recently said yes to a fairly significant role. But what I do want to say is that the Lord is so pleased. What you sacrifice now, the Lord is going to multiply it profoundly. He's going to set up a heritage for your kids and your family. Not many people have the courage sometimes to make a decision you have. Doing this is not easy. Um, makes sense why you don't go to bed so late. Because often, you know, I don't go to bed late, uh, early either. And I have to keep reminding myself. So that message to you was actually me. I was prophesying to me. But it is important. But the Lord is going to do amazing things in you. I'm not even a member of this church, and I'm proud of you. <laughs> Honestly, I want you to meet our worship guy, Joel Phillips. I reckon he's one of the best anywhere. I just think we need to put good people together. We need each other. None of us is as good as all of us. It's really important. Well done. Your team is beautiful, just so beautiful. So thank you. When um, the Lord spoke to Moses in uh, um, Exodus 33, the, um, that's not one of my scriptures, um, Exodus 33 verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses says, well, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us. Because if your presence is not with us, how on earth will anybody know that you're with us? What's really important is that we're talking about meet me here. What I want to do today is I want to show very practically, um, we can learn from where Jesus meets people in the scriptures. Unfortunately, I think it's unfortunate. We live in our Western societies very me-focused. So we often think about my devotional life, my encounter with Jesus. You know Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you. Most people, Anglos and Westerners, when we think of that, I think of it, I will receive power when the Spirit comes on me 
It doesn't mean that. It's plural. You, you guys, will receive power when yous get the Spirit on yous. We're meant to have an evangelistic corporate sense. So that means a person who's serving coffee has got as much anointing to, to witness than somebody who's preaching. It, it's really important. We don't need more programs. We need more culture. And look, I, you know, sometimes um, I, in a sense, I'm caught in between many worlds. And I think, please, Jesus, I would like to be like Ricardo Verdi. <laughs> sometimes I want to be Rikan Grun. That's German. I won't try to pronounce it in Arabic. It's... <laughs> But in, there are strengths and weaknesses in every culture. And I think God wants to bring it all together. In fact, in Ephesians, it says that God demonstrated to the powers the manifold wisdom of God in the church. You know what that means? It's really simple. That's in Ephesians. The church was so ethnically diverse in Ephesus that manifold means multicolored. People are not meant to connect and get on. But in the church, amen. And that demonstrates to Satan, actually, the cross brought everyone back together. Diversity is divine. Division is diabolical. And there's a fine line. So what I want to do is just teach, really. And I want to go a little bit differently, perhaps, to what you might think. It's completely within the theme, and I want to stay faithful to this theme. What I want to do is look at where were the different places that Jesus met people and different types of meetings. See, I understand it's very important that we all have a sacred place and a sacred pace. We need to have that alone time with God. In our house, in my home, there is one chair. It's in our bedroom. Nothing happens on that chair. Nothing except me praying. That's it. I don't sit on it to read. I don't sit on it to do anything. That I just sit. And it's an old chair. It's terrible looking. But it's very comfortable and it's my sacred chair. I've had it for years. I had it when I was single. When I was living with shared houses and we were running these halfway houses, it was ballistic. It was just everything was terribly chaotic. We were living on main roads. It was all noisy. And I thought, I've got to do something to find a sacred place. And I thought, OK, this chair will be it. I'd just sit in that chair. Boom. We all need it. But we also need a sacred pace. Pace, the way you live will affect the way you pray, and the way you pray will affect the way you live. You can't separate them. And in a sense, this is what the Lord is saying, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you, wherever you are, in the supermarket, at school, studying, at home, everywhere. Of course, there are special moments and see, we need to meet together because this is, our, in a sense, our corporate sacred place. I mean, this worship, I'm boof. But we've actually got to do more than that. We've got to carry with us the presence of the Lord. I'm going to say something that sounds a little controversial. I don't mean it to be controversial. I'm not, 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 I'm not saying it in a, as a contrary spirit. I pray for revival all the time. Well, we need a visitation from you. But I do believe that we are the revival because Jesus is the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. Revival is resurrection. So we need to carry that in us. If we carry the sense of that in us regularly and daily, what will happen? We will have serendipitous experiences that will lead to great fruit. 
I had a sense, um, I tend not to go anywhere unless I know the people or I meet them first. So it's, I don't tend to turn up anywhere and I don't tend to respond to invitations where I haven't met anybody. I just, I, it's just the value that I have. I think churches need uncles and aunts and grandpa, grandparents preaching in the pulpits, not just uh, visiting speakers. Um, Michael, to me, seems like an uncle for you guys. Like there's a, 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 just a great shared affection. So he's going to really work to make sure he gives you what's from his heart, I'm sure. And I think that's really important. We don't need any more superstars. We really don't. We just need the body to be the body. Um, so I do think there's this call for us to allow God to meet us in a whole lot of settings and for him to break into the little time. So I'm, I'm, I'm in Russia, I'm doing something, and I just really had a sense that we're meant to do something in St. Petersburg. And I thought, before I do anything, I want to get there and pray. Right Now, I'm not saying this to... I don't want to highlight myself. But I'm just aware that we're very simple people, right? And if we can be aware of the presence of the Lord with us every day, that makes us interruptible. So I'm walking down this street in St. Petersburg, and I'm with my interpreter and another pastor. And as we're walking down the street, this young fellow comes out and he's trying to scalp He's trying to, scalping is like selling tickets to get, you know, he wants to drag me into some sort of tour or something, right? I'm walking and he was annoying me. He's really persistent. He's desperate. Some of these people are desperate and he's really quite aggressive. And for the moment, you know, sometimes you, something like that happens and you get distracted and, and I thought, hang on, I've got to come back to just allowing the presence of the Lord to guide me here. And as I'm walking along, he's hassling me. I felt the Lord saying, Richard, what are you doing? I didn't call you to be annoyed. I called you to be aware of my presence. And as soon as I sort of did a little repentance thing in my head, in my heart, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. Two words. So I stopped, got my interpreter on the main street, mind you, Gave him these two words, he started sobbing, broke down, I led him to Jesus. I, um, now, I didn't think, I'm going out the street to evangelise. I did not think that for a second. All I was doing was minding my own business and I allowed, the Holy, I allowed Jesus to meet me there. And I allowed him to correct me. And because of that, that happened. Do you know that young man? He writes to me every week. His name's Ilya. Now what's annoying, really annoying, is I've tried to connect him to pastors and they won't take the time to go and meet him. That's annoying. Let's make a commitment to reach the one, then we'll reach the multitudes. So what I, I digress, but <laughs> it's just on my heart to do that. Uh, um, what I want to do is look at a whole series of different contexts in which Jesus is with people and what I believe we can learn from. So the first one is from Matthew 16, verse 13 to 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now, there's a couple Caesareses, by the way. He asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. <coughs> but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, 
Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but from God in heaven. Now, I'll just pause there for a second. That sounds like a nice thing. But if you put it in the common language, basically Jesus is saying, you're not smart enough to work that out. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. You can't work this out by yourself, buddy. You can't claim that you somehow uncovered a revelation. God, your father, has revealed this to you. And then he says, and therefore I call you Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not. You know the passage, yeah? What happens is two uncoverings that occur. The word revelation means uncovering. Some people get confused and they think because of Proverbs, you know, where there's no vision, people perish. And then some translations said where there's no revelation. The word revelation and vision are two totally different words. Vision is about the future. Revelation is about seeing what is already. Where is Christ? Where is he? Here. He's not there. He's not overseas. He's not in Asbury. Well, he is in Asbury. But you don't have to go to Asbury to get a revival because Jesus is the resurrection. He's here. Right here. Now, what's interesting is where, did, where was Jesus when he revealed this to them? Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi. I don't know if you uh, know this, but Caesarea Philippi, where he was, was a pagan area. It was an area that they were very uncomfortable as Jews to be. He's standing, imagine this here, behind him are these huge caves, one in particular. And at the base of the cave comes a spring. There's several springs and they feed the Jordan. It's the headwaters of the Jordan. Behind him is not just one cave with water flowing out of it. Can you imagine? Have you ever been to one of these really big caves and it's dark? My Lord, you're looking in there, it is like hell. I don't want to go in there with all the bats and stuff. Like it's, you know, I've been into this weird cave on the outside of Malaysia. I'm not going in a cave. Do you know something random? You know when bats come out caves, they turn left? They never turn right. It's true. How can you believe in evolution? Left, left. Anyway, random piece of... Back to the passage. So Jesus is standing here. They're probably standing there looking at him. And do you know what else is there? There are all these grottos. You know what a grotto is? It's like a mini cave where they stick an idol in it. There was hundreds of them. So Jesus is looking at them and they're looking at him. And he's saying, who do you say I am? Hey, you think I'm just one of these many gods in your world? Joe said, we have idols. Do you know where Jesus wants to meet you? Right smack in the middle of the life that you live with all the distractions. And it's in that context he says, who do you say I am? And Jesus asks a question. Questions always precede insight and insight precedes revelation. The most important thing you can do is to ask yourself questions. Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I do what I do? Do you know, um, sometimes I think in churches, we are so pragmatic, we do what works without ever asking, is it what God would want? We're really good at standing them up, knocking them over. Even me, sometimes I do CDs. That's called a courtesy drop. It, like, we've got to ask the question, why? Do you know, we don't start with vision, we start with values. Because values is what builds a community. Vision is about where you're going. Values are about why you exist and what's important. And Jesus says, upon the revelation uncovering of who I am and who you are. There are two revelations here. Not just that of who Christ is, but who we are to be in Christ. And that is what we build the church off. I'm convinced there's a stack of good ministers and a stack of good churches, but they're consumed by copying everybody else's latest stuff and the pressures on them. They don't even know who they are. 
I was saying to Joe last night, one of the weirdest restaurants I've ever been to was, it said Italian, it was in Bulgaria, but it was run by Chinese. <laughs> when I get into the restaurant, they're playing German music. <laughs> and I'm going, whoa. And I ordered spaghetti. Well, it wasn't spaghetti, it was noodles. <laughs> it was the weirdest experience in my life. Now, the food was okay, but I felt nervous. True. Sometimes our churches are like that. Like we've got all these different symbols and there's no consistency. What I love about this church, as soon as you walk in, you feel what you get here, what you get there, 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 what you get there. It's all together because there's a sense of coreness. Really important. So I want to give you a couple things that are important. Um, let me just go to Jesus now. In John 8, 12, 14, it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees challenged him. By the way, do you know what Pharisee actually means? Separated. The separate ones. As soon as you separate things, like your public life and your private life, you've got trouble. Yeah. You're going to have hypocrisy. Jesus says, I am the light, and they couldn't handle it. And they challenged him and said, you're appearing on your own testimony. You're a witness. Your testimony is not valid. Now, what is a testimony? Simple. A testimony is simply a story of a life led. If I tell you my testimony and it doesn't line up with the life that I live, it has no validity. So they, they're challenging. And then Jesus says, even if I testify on my own, my testimony is valid. It's got weight because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. And I love this next bit in NIV. But you have no idea. If you don't know where you come from and where you're going, you've got no idea in life. Jesus wants to meet us and uncover who he is and who we are so that we know where we're coming from and where we're going. And that meeting does not happen in a prayer meeting. That meeting happens in the day-to-day -day when his presence is with you and you're bumping into issues and you're reacting. It's really important. Now, so let me give you something that I think is really important to help you. I want to give you something practical. And the Apostle Paul says this, Galatians 1.15. He said, God who called me from birth and set me apart by his grace. Paul is talking about two experiences. He's talking about what we call common grace, that God designed everybody whether a sinner or a saint, he designed them to be brought into this world. And so there's a sense of common grace, not saving grace, but common grace in their life. And then he talks about grace that set me apart. He's talking about his conversion experience. So here are the two questions. For you to be able to locate your values, you have to ask this question first. What did you value and love? when you were little and growing up, that was good. You identify that first. When I grew up, I was always a dreamer. I was, I've got hundreds of books of writing strange plans. In a sense, I've always been a thinker. You know, when I was a little kid, I used to say to my mum, how do I know I exist? She says, here, it's a cup of tea. <laughs> I've always been a philosophical thinker. That's a good thing. I've always been concerned about marginal people, even before I was a Christian. That's a good thing. Now, there's some things that we have as values as kids not good. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about identifying the good in you. The second thing you need to ask yourself is, what were you passionate about the day you got born again? Those things is where we get our values from. And so Jesus meets us in the hustle and bustle 
and the competition of our myriad of gods. And it's in that case that he gives the greatest revelation did not occur in the temple, did not occur in a place of prayer. The greatest revelation that, that, that Peter declares was declared in a pagan place where they ha- they're challenged by all these other foreign gods. Wow. His presence is with you. Okay, the second thing is Jesus met with a combination of people. He met with so many people in so many settings. And I've just summed this up as outsiders and insiders. So I'm going to do this really quickly. So in Matthew 15, 13, Jesus, this is just one passage, great crowds came to him. So he ministered to the crowds. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Jesus appeared to the 500. 1 Corinthians uh, uh, um, 15, so you know that. He said he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. So there's a crowd, there's 500. In Acts 1.15, there were 120 present at Pentecost when the Spirit fell, which Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father and the Spirit comes down. Luke 10, he sends 72 out. Some translations say 70. Matthew 10.1, he called 12 to himself. Luke 9.28, at the transfiguration, he was with three. Okay. Crowds, which we've got to minister to. 500. 120, 70, 12, and 3. Here's a question. How much of his time did he spend where? Important. Because you can't meet everybody every day. So you and I have a pressure on us. If we're going to have sacred places and sacred uh, pace, we've got to balance where we put our energy. I am absolutely convinced, because I work with a lot of church guys, and I say, I say to them, how many people do you want in our church? It's, it's hilarious. If they're really young, they'll say, oh, we're going to have a 1,000 in, in uh, you know, six months. Okay, okay, well, how are you going to get the 1,000? Well, I'll just preach. Okay. You won't get your 1,000. Because you actually have to work with the core. You build from the outside, but you've got to lead from the inside. Now, if you have a look, I did this just to be certain. I did a statistical breakdown of all the verses in all the Gospels to work out percentage-wise of how much time uh, the verses were dedicated to the small groups. It was 60% of the Gospel. That's a rough... You can't be accurate, actually, because the different translations, and you can't... You know, that, that would be... That's pretty rough, because... Just because he says these many words to some person doesn't mean that he said them in the same length of time. Yeah, I mean, you think about the most important prayer, the Lord's Prayer, 52 words, short. Actually, it's less than that. Sorry, that's wrong. It's, it's shorter than that. Some people think if they pray long, it's better. But you can pray long and you can be thinking about roast. <laughs> I'm a pastor. I do four services on a weekend. I'm always, and my wife is better at it than me, we have to step into four services and we are determined that we're going to worship in each of those four services. Here I'm a little bit different because I'm trying to listen to the Holy Spirit and I'm thinking and I'm... Uh, I think you know what I mean. Right? It's funny, I was, um, we had a young man in our church. Remember that, that, that song, He is Exalted? And I, you know that song? Well, this little boy was driving home in his, with his family and he's in the back saying, He is exhausted and I am exhausted. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think, I think we run churches like God. Like no beginning nor end. So what I'm saying here is that Jesus spent most of his time with the smaller group and spent some time with the bigger group. You've got to do both. 
Some churches, I'm talking to pastors now, some pastors' churches do not grow because they're spending all their time meeting everybody instead of the majority of the time building a core leadership team. Do you know, I love coming to this church because I'll say to Joe, oh, what time am I being picked up? He said, I don't know. Um, well, you know, when are we having this? I don't know. It's on your schedule and I think, fabulous. You know why? Because he doesn't need to. He needs to be seeking God, praying. That's the truth. The problem is we feel pressured to be a Christian. Well, there's some things that Jesus does that don't look very Christian to me. Like when he lines Peter up and says, oh, Peter, Peter says, oh, you're not going to die, Jesus. And Peter goes, get behind me, Satan. Well, that's not very nice, is it? Oh, he's offended. <laughs> Gee, that wouldn't go down today, would it? Because everybody's offended. So now, for all of us, you have to balance. Because if you want the Lord to meet you, if your life becomes unbalanced, even when you go to sit in a special place, you'll be distracted. Like one of the most helpful things you could do is make a commitment not to look at your phone first thing when you wake up. Now, how hard is that? Well, let's be honest. It's pretty hard. I'm not being legalistic. I'm just saying, let's try. Let's create these buffers, yeah? Now, because we need to focus in, and it's almost a paradox. Jesus did minister to the multitudes, but he spent the majority of the time with his core. I'm going to ask you a question. Who are your three? Go ahead, make a list. And who are your 12? And who are your 70? In our church, we, we're very intentional. Every one of our staff has to be able to tell me who their three is who their 12 is, and who their 70 is. And that might sound a bit harsh, but I want us to keep... Because I tell you, the devil is in speed. The, um, he's not a Christian. But I'm, I'm going to say this. His name is Carl Jung. Some people think he is. He's not. But he said this. He was a spiritual man. He said... Um, Busyness is not of the devil, it is the devil. Now, so, and we need to understand if we focus on the small, see, we're called to establish communities, not put on a performance. Performance gathers crowds, but shared values builds community. Performance demands pressure, community requires patience. I said that last night. So here's your action. Go from here, sit, write down who are your three. Just start there. Now, it's three is not the issue. It might be one is your three. But you've got to have some people that are close to you. A lot of people are falling over in the ministry not making the end of their journey because I don't think they've got people to talk to. And when they finally get to share, it's too late. We've got to live transparently, not before everybody, but for a few people. Okay, the, the, the next context that Jesus, I see Jesus is not just where and who, but how he does it. And I love this. Jesus is into prayer and parties. <laughs> not one, both. Luke's gospel is the gospel for the Gentiles. Luke's gospel, if you want an, an idea of evangelism, that's it. If you want a, a Bible book for discipleship, Matthew's it. If you want a book that's about sustaining yourself long term, going deeper, John. But Luke is the evangelistic, it's for the Gentiles. 
And Luke has more references in Luke's gospel to prayer than any of the gospels. Way more. And he has more references to parties. Get out. Because we don't do that. We're religious people. It's all about the prayer meeting. Hallelujah. But Jesus does prayers and parties. It does your head in. He was criticised for being in the parties. He was Italian. <laughs> or Middle Eastern. Well, he was Middle Eastern. Prayers and parties. Here's what's really important. Where is your balance? Not just outside, inside, but where's your balance? Do you know, sometimes we get so spiritual... Like, this is how the enemy will, will stop. He will either stand against us and resist us. He will flick us around and he will just push us really quickly. And we go so flat out doing spiritual things that we become bizarre. And we have to discern the difference between being of the spirit and soulish. If you start focusing so inwardly all the time, you are going to click into being soulish. You won't be able to discern what the spirit is and what the, your own soul is. You've got to be in normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill things. You know, I'm going to show you something, right? I don't know, this is just me. Now, if I were in Sydney, I'm not going to do it in Adelaide. It's because in Sydney the water's lovely out of the tap. In Adelaide you've got to chew it. <laughs> I, grew in Adelaide. I grew up in Adelaide, it's, it's okay. Um, so when I do this, if I have a glass of water in Sydney, you don't know what's going on in my head. But every time I take a glass of water in Sydney, my heart is filled with praise. I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful water. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that I live in Australia and I can have clean running water out of a tap. When you have your bread roll... Don't gobble it down. Oh, Jesus. What I'm saying is practice the presence of the moment. This is super important. Prayer and parties, where's your balance? Do you know, to be quite honest, right at the moment, I feel all I'm doing, which is a problem and I need to shift it a bit, all I feel like I'm doing is just, I feel like a sacramental dispensing machine. What I mean by that, just put me up here and like there's not enough normal stuff. There's not enough me going fishing. I make cheese. There's not enough me making cheese. Well, my kids think it's good when I'm doing this because I'm not making cheese. But anyway, <laughs> what I'm saying to you is you've got to find the places that balance because God meets you there. Do you know, I get as many spiritual insights when I'm, when I'm fishing and making cheese as when I am sometimes praying. Because I'm aware of his presence. Do you know why they say blessed are the cheesemakers? Because <laughs> it takes such a long time. Stirring, I do it by hand. Shakarabasi, karabasharabati, shikiri. Do you know the cheeses that take the longest? Italian hard cheeses. <laughs> Mamma mia. Anyway. <clears throat> All right. So here's some, an action for you. Write down a review of your past six months and how balanced was it between social engagement and intentional prayer? I'm not talking about, and see, we do this, we do the flip. What we do is we pray on the run and then we don't socialise. We need to socialise and intentionalise prayer. That's what Jesus did. He withdrew for prayer and engaged in the social. I have a rule of thumb with our leaders. I say, when you're having a meeting, have one focus. If you're going to have a social with your team, have a social. If you're going to have a prayer meeting, have a prayer meeting. And certainly don't combine business, prayer and social together. One focus, boom. 
Okay, the next thing which we see in Jesus is he was intentionally flexible or flexibly intentional. And we see it, sorry, I'm jump one. Um, just, I'll, I'll just make point of this passage about the prayer and the parties. Acts 2, 46-47. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to them, to their, day, their numbers daily, those who were being saved. If we are serious about making disciples, the prayer, the parties have to increase. But what's really interesting, this passage comes straight after the Pentecost. So I would say to you that the church was birthed in a prayer meeting but built around tables. Birthed in prayer and built around tables. Now I've got to tell you, for me, prayer is easy. The table is hard. I'm an introvert. But I have to practice being around a table. That's why I think, ironically, the Lord has connected me to Italians. <laughs> True. All right, so now intentionally flexible and flexibly intentional. Jesus was incredibly intentional in who, when and why he would meet. Now, this is difficult for us as Christians because sometimes we think we have to meet with everybody all the time, whenever they want. And the more pastoral you are, the more likely you're going to be sucked there. The hardest thing in life is to say no. Because if you say no, someone might not like you. It's very difficult. Most pastors have huge hearts. They want to serve. They want to give. I, I see it all the time. And they, their churches are stuck. And a church won't get above about 70. That's a primary group. Most churches will bounce between 70 to 120 because often the pastor is trying to meet with everybody, not because he's trying to control everything. He just feels he's responsible and he wants to love everybody, but you just can't. And that takes a great revelation and a great work from the Lord but if you look at what Jesus did it'll help us so Mark 1 35 is a perfect example it says very early in the morning while it was still dark Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed Simon and his companions went looking for him and when they found him they said everybody's looking for you I love this next bit Jesus replied quick let's get out of here Let's go somewhere else because this is why I have been sent to preach. Now, that's fine by itself, but read the bit before it. Right? The bit before it is that Jesus is in the house, it says, and the whole town was in the house. Now, that's me. I'm praying for revival and all of a sudden I've got all these people coming to faith and there's miracles happening and the service is packed and everything and the very next morning I'm praying and our guys come and get me. Hey, Pastor Richard, everybody's there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back. Jesus didn't. He said, nah, I love it. Peter, they come running. Wow, it's serious. The revival, we've got it. Oh, whoa. Wow, come on, come on, come on, Jesus. And Jesus says, Quick. Let's dick off. <laughs> yeah? But the only way he could say that, the only way that he could answer that question and say no was because he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. Values. If, you don't, if you're not value-driven, you're going to say yes to everything. Uh, this is for the leaders, right? Your churches will not grow off ministry. Ministry meets needs. Your churches grow off leadership because leadership is ministry, a ministry that reproduces ministers. If you want your church to grow, we have to do what Jesus did. And it's tough. Lord, have mercy upon our Sri Lankan brothers. Oh, cultural expectation on these guys. They've got to be at everybody's wedding, everybody's parties, everybody's everything. The pressure. I'm an Australian and I feel it hard. 
I'd be done if I was Sri Lankan, and I'd be about three times the size I am already. The Italians the same. But we have to make we have to make kingdom decisions. The hardest thing you'll ever do is say no. So here are three questions you've got to ask yourself. What do you need to say no to? Or what do you need to stop doing? Second thing is what do you need to keep doing? And what's the new thing you've got to take up? But you can't do the two, question two and three until you start with question one. You only got 24 hours in the day. You can't keep adding. You've got to say no. So intentionally flexible. So Jesus was very intentional, but he was an incredible flexible. Just one passage of all. Mark 3, 20 and 21, it says he didn't even have time to eat. So I'm not being idealistic here, all right? We have to balance it. We've got to be intentional, but we also got to realise that there will be seasons where we're interrupted. He was interrupted so much he didn't even have time to eat. Then we have another, I could, we could use lots of passages, uh, Mark 5, 23, he's in a boat, right? He's in the boat, gets the other side speaking to the crowd, and then he gets interrupted by Jairus, the synagogue. So that's one, two interruptions. The crowd, then Jairus comes along, then he's on his way to do Jairus' request, and then a woman starts yanking at him, right? And, and, he, and, she, and he said, oh, and the disciples said, we don't know of anyone. Look at the crowd. They're all pressing around you, but you felt somebody. So he's interrupted by her. Then he's interrupted by Jairus's um, workers, officials. See, Jairus has already asked. Now he sent people to nag him. And Jesus is very, very flexible. <laughs> I, was, I was doing this, this thing in Russia and oh, I was so tired. We, we went, we prayed for every single person in this thing. We prayed for four hours after I preached for a very long time. Four hours. It was like they're all coming up one after another. And, and then, because I've got a prophet, they all wanted me to prophesy over them, all bringing their phones and the recording and shoving it in my face. And I'm thinking, what the? Anyway. I'm there with our interpreter. I've got two interpreters. I wore two interpreters out, right? And got with this interpreter, and all of a sudden I've got this sticks poking me in the back. It's all these little babushkas. They're about as wide as they are high. There was five of them, and they're all poking me, all trying to get, I want a word, I want a word, and they're fighting. They're poking me with a stick. I felt like grabbing their stick and smacking them. I really want to slay them in the spirit. You know what I mean. In your life, there's always going to be people pulling at you. Now, we do have to allow for that in seasons and not get too upset. We, but we, my point is you've got to be intentional and be able to say no, but you also got to balance it with being uncomfortably interrupted. And sometimes in the uncomfortable interruption, God speaks. But unless we are intentional in saying no, we're not going to have that sacred place and pace. That's how Jesus meets with us. Now, I often think, how on earth did Jesus do this? Well, I think a bit of the clue is in Ezekiel 1, 10, uh, Revelation 4, 7, where it gives you, the, it says, talks about the, div the divine being revealed in different faces. The face of a man the face of a lion, the face of an ox, and the face of the eagle. As a pastor, I think, what face do I need? Sometimes you have to have the face of a lion. But some pastors are always got the face of a lion. <laughs> Sometimes you have to have the face of an ox. You know, the face of the ox is very ordinary. Just ordinary level. Pastor, the, the, the building's burning down. <laughs> That's not the time to go, Aah! And we also need to have the face of an eagle, and this is really important. Isaiah says, you'll rise up on wings like eagles. But what did it say before? Those who wait. 
One of the hardest things for us is to wait. And that's where gifts kick in. If you want to soar on the, on the thermals of the spirit, you've got to wait. So see how balanced now, I believe in this so much that this is on my ring. I've got the face of a man, the face of a ox, sorry, face of a man, the face of an eagle, the face of a lion and the face of the ox. And I need everything to help me. So I'm going to go to a particular country and I'm turning that ring around because I'm going to have the, have, the, have the face of a lion and an ox. And then there's times when I have to turn it around on my wife's advice <laughs> to have the face of a man and an eagle. <laughs> okay, so reflect on your context. Think of the relationships. How do you need to engage? And just the last one is grace and limitation. Now, I'm going to read to you Luke 22:42. Jesus prays. Now, he's in a very intimate moment. Disciples are with him. It's very small, very intimate. And he prays, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not your will, but you, not, not my will, but yours be done. Have you ever thought that Jesus knew what it was like to pray a prayer that would not be answered? Even in his humanity, I'm talking about in his humanity. God is fully, Jesus is fully God, fully man, a mystery to us. But he stepped aside and functioned like us. So in his human experience, he understood what it was like to be limited. One of the great damages we've, I think we can do in the church is preach a message that people are unlimited in what they can do. That's not true. In fact... If we were unlimited, we wouldn't need the body. I think one of the challenges for pastors in particular, we think we have to do everything, which is one of the biggest lies. Because we can't do everything. We have to do what we do and delegate everything else. Now, when I say delegate everything else, I'm not talking about dumping everything else. Right at the moment, I have to do stuff that I don't like, that no one else can do. Most of my time is spent with problem solving, governance, oversight, compliance. It's, it's at least 70 to 80% of my time. But only I can do that because I have to. So I'm not just talking about you cherry picking what you like. Oh, I love preaching. I'm a great preacher and everybody else can do the rest. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm thinking, what is it that I have to do that no one else can do? And also the other side is, what do I do that no one else can do as far as a gift? And that's important. Because the truth is, when I accept my sovereign limitations and I use my gifts out of the limitations, others are blessed. And when they use their gifts out of their limitations, I'm blessed. So it's really important. Uh, Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than any of them, not I, but the grace of God that was with him. Many Bible scholars say that Paul was being rhetorical. I don't believe that at all, because when I read Paul, I can't see anybody in the New Testament who worked like a, as much as a maniac as he was. <sighs> Sleepless nights, shipwrecks, beatings, writing, you know, so much. He was a madman. I love what it says. There's a book called The Acts of Thecla. It's not the Bible, but it's an early uh, historical document. It's, 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 it's reliable historical document. It's the only place where we have a description of what Paul looks like. I just love it. I can quote it verbatim because I just think it's so fascinating. It says, Paul was a short man with bow legs. And one eyebrow. <laughs> Here's Middle Eastern. Big thick eyebrow. And it says, depending on his mood, he either looked like a devil or an angel. When I read Paul, he was very serious, wasn't he? 
very determined, but then there's other times that he's incredibly gracious and beautiful. But Paul says, not I, the grace that's within me. And he says, and this grace was not without effect. I want to say to you, don't look for title or position, look for effect. I've had people say to me, Pastor, I've got a gift of prophecy. Well, actually, you don't have a gift of prophecy. If I prophesy to Michael, he receives the gift, not me. But I said, okay, well, let's test it out. Come, prophesy over the brother here. So he prophesies over the brother and say to the brother, how are your feelings? He says, I'm totally confused. Oops, no good. Let's go over here. Prophesy the brother here. He starts crying. He's all depressed now, right? Wrong effect, <laughs> right? Someone says, one person said to me, I've got a gift of healing. I said, okay, let's, let's see. Go over to the brother here. He's got a bad knee. Prays for his knee. I said, how are your knee feeling? He said, now my other knee's bad too, <laughs> right? The effect proves, uh-huh. It's the fact. Don't worry about the title. Don't worry about... People say to me, what do we introduce you as? A prophet, an apostle, a thing? Whatever you want to introduce you. I'm just Richard. I'm just Richard. What do you need? Look for the effect. You know, one of the weirdest things in the Christian world is there's some really weird brothers and sisters. And they get incredible effects. <laughs> And I think, well, who am I? As long as they love Jesus, you know. Do you know the big disasters happen in the church because people who've got healing ministry start teaching? No, 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 you're not a teacher. Stick to the healing. Like, does that make sense? I just look for the effect. What effect do you have? Do you know there's an effect in this church? Okay. I'm going to try to get you to say, if you could, there's a feeling and effect. What effect does this corporate body have to you? You think about it. I'll, maybe that's, I'll, I'll answer what I feel. I feel I belong and I feel it's very safe. I'd rather be in a church like that instead of one of those you're sitting on your edge and never know what's going to happen. Is, <laughs> is Aunt Betty going to stand up with a, a, you know, a, 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 a cabbage colander on her head and start prophesying? <laughs> like, yeah, I've been in churches like that. There's, I was in a church and the person over here, all of a sudden there's a person, the stage is quite big and this person comes up here and starts prophesying in this part, just here. And then another one comes and, and I said to the pastor, what's the go with that spot over there? I said, oh, somebody prophesied in that spot, you know, 20 years ago. And now it's sort of like the anointed spot. <laughs> and I think that's weird. <laughs> like, what is that? And I tell you the effect it had on me, I wanted to run. <laughs> Jesus is attractive. The effect, the effect, and it's by grace. Father, I want to thank you that you are God who sends your presence in every aspect of our life. Lord, I pray you give us insight. Come into our world. Lord, we want to, in a sense, we want to be supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. We want to be able to meet with you not for 3% of our time, but in every area of our time. Lord, we're like Moses. We don't want to go anywhere unless your presence goes with us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We were led into this with the beautiful sharing about the still small voice. Father, I pray that you would gift every member that's here, every person that's in this room, that you would gift them with the gift of an awareness of your presence 
in every aspect of their life. When they get up in the morning, when they're having breakfast, when they're meeting around a table, when they're on a bus or in the car, Lord, let them breathe. Give them a gift of a sacred pace. Some of you, there's an adjustment, a realignment that needs to occur. And you, you, you've heard a variety of things. But the Lord would have said one thing to you. And now it's your time to say yes to that one thing. You may not be able to change it here, but you can make the decision to change it. And so you'll need strength by the Holy Spirit to change it. Maybe you've been spending the majority of your time with crowds of people and not enough time with the people that are really close and important. And you're going to have to make that adjustment. Maybe some of you are trying to manage time, but you know you can't manage time. You manage energy. You need a shift. Not every day is the same. Not every week is the same. The Lord is doing a work in you now. <clears throat> Come Holy Spirit, you are the teacher, you are the counsellor, you are the guide. And as an act of faith, because the Lord is looking for faith, without faith it's impossible to please God. So this requires faith. If you felt the Holy Spirit speak to you about something you need to change as an act of faith I want you to pop your hand in there so I can pray for you thank you, thank you I've seen numbers of hands now this is not just, this is a symbol I know it's a symbol but I've seen those hands and God sees it and I believe that he will help you so, Lord, I pray for your gracious, great grace. Great grace would be with those that are responding. And this would lead to them going from here and making changes. I pray, Jesus, help them. Please, Jesus, help them. Holy Spirit, would you empower them to make these changes? They know they have to make them their heart. There's even grief involved. Some are going to have to say no to stuff. Some are going to have to deal with people not liking them because they say no. But Lord, I pray you'd be with them. Thank you, Jesus. You're our Father, the Father of us all. You're in heaven the place of your perfect order. And we're praying for your kingdom, which is your order, to penetrate every part of our life. Thank you, Lord. You hear this prayer. You hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you know, uh, I, I normally, just about every place I go, I lay hands on people and pray. But I really have a sense that for whatever reason, not to do that. That's just odd. Because I just feel like the Lord is, he's with you. Like he's, he's right with you. He's right in front of you. In a sense, he's doing it. I, I sense this, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit here. I was here in February, had a very different feel. It was awesome. This feels awesome too, but different. 
to Jesus. There is something happening here. My feet are stuck. Thank you, Lord, for the great privilege of being with this beautiful family. We're so grateful for each other. We really are. And Lord, our prayer is really simple. We want to please you and we want to live, our, live the best we can. And we want our world to change. We want to lead people to Jesus. We want people to experience what we've experienced. We want people to have eternal life. Equip us, Lord. Help us. Thank you, Jesus.